Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. We are Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Not for nothing really and truly all day long like 7-Eleven. I'm about to do 25 push-ups next to the Taj Mahal. I really wanted to like do the awkward thing where you try to kiss somebody on a plane, but my mom was sitting next to me on the other side. If you look like a tourist, more than likely they're not gonna be racist because you got that moolah. What's up everybody? You are listening to the No Blackout Dates podcast. My name's Tim. And I'm Evan. And this week we've got a great chat with our buddy Phil, who is a travel video host and an influencer slash former pro basketball player slash former NBA staff member and general all-around badass. We've got a great chat talking about everything from the NBA itself to the Black Lives Matter movement to the current state of travel and how he's been doing in Europe for the last several months. He's actually been there throughout the entire pandemic, which I'm incredibly jealous of. Yeah, Phil, a.k.a. Phil the Culture, a.k.a. Phil Walkie, is living all of our collective dreams right now. Uh, he's been in Copenhagen since March, I believe. Um, Denmark's been one of the countries doing the best with COVID. We're going to learn how he was able to swing that. And he's basically here to rub it in all of our faces. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit. But it's curious today that we are talking to somebody who is living in Europe when, Eben, you yourself were supposed to be living in Europe this summer. Oh, my God. Yep. I uh, was supposed to live in Amsterdam for three months in April. And that obviously didn't happen because of the pandemic. And that became Portugal. Once Portugal cock teased us by saying they were going to open to American tourists. And that's a good way to describe it. Uh, yeah. I uh, definitely booked a flight and an Airbnb for a month. A week before I was supposed to leave, they changed their minds and decided that they weren't going to let any international travelers in. Can't win them all. You can't win them all, Tim. Or in my case, you can't win any of them. You can't win any of them, but you'll get over there eventually. And uh, it'll probably be a little bit better because you'll have freedom of movement once you're there to actually travel around, hopefully, and not just seclude yourself in an apartment in a city center for months. Yeah. I mean, it's this weird push and pull dilemma between craving some kind of travel experience and knowing that given the limitations, it might not even be worth it. I mean, if I was Europe, I wouldn't want us coming over there either. I can't blame them. I, f- I feel like we're a bunch of lepers living on our little North American leper colony. Yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get over there soon. And hopefully the U.S. will get this virus under control once there's a vaccine and, and uh, people can follow some orders. But uh, let's get into our chat with Phil. It's a really informative one. I think you'll take a lot out of it. It's, it's a lot of insight on what's going on in the States these days from overseas, which was really cool to hear about. All right. We're here with Phil, the culture, Phil Calvert. How you doing, man? I'm always good. How you guys are? How you guys doing? Good, man. Glad you're here. Doing good, man. But I'm not going to lie. I'm a little, I'm a little jealous that you're in Copenhagen. Oh my God. Yeah. This might be the best place in the world to be at when it comes to quarantining and wearing masks and all that other good stuff. So how'd you get, how'd you uh, like end up there? So I've been here since March 18th. The the country went on lockdown March 11th, but I used to play basketball out here. And while I was here, I took advantage of um, residency. And so 
I filled out the residency papers. I met all the requirements. Oh. Bam, they gave me a residency card. And what did you have to do to get it? I can't tip. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, you just had to meet like some certain requirements. Luckily, I've been working out here since 2010, I think. And it was like consecutively. So 2010 all the way to 2015, I had to have the same address. I had the same address. I applied. They gave me my residency card. And now I can go to Europe anywhere and just show them my residency card. Like, here you go. All right. So for anyone listening at home, all you have to do is play professional basketball internationally. And you can get a, uh, a residence card in Europe. That's the dream, huh? It is the dream. All right. So tell us a little bit about uh, about your history with basketball, because I know from what I understand, that's how you got into traveling and got into got into kind of what you're doing now. So let's get the story on uh, on how you got into basketball and how it got you on the road. The first time I ever got on an airplane was because of basketball, right? The first time I've ever like interacted with different cultures was like because of basketball. And it just opened up so many doors. I got my college education because of basketball. I went to my first European country because of basketball. And it just, it was like, I used it as a key. And I didn't know behind basketball, it'll open up like my second career. First it was basketball, then now it's the travel stuff. So, so that's how it did. I just played professional basketball here in Europe for a few years. And then after that, um, I was traveling while playing, you know, I was visiting different places, putting it on Insta, putting it on um, Facebook and putting it on Snapchat. And then from there, it just got to Instagram. And then, then I had the YouTube, then I had the show. And now I'm still doing it. Just using basketball the way it used me. Yeah. What's the experience like when you travel abroad to play basketball? Is it like, how does, how does, how does it vary by country? Because different countries have different basketball cultures and environments. and Right, right. So it's different. So when I travel for basketball reasons, for basketball purposes, um, when I'm doing after my basketball career, I work for the NBA. So when I'm traveling with the NBA, it's like, oh, snaps, you with the NBA? They think I'm in the NBA. And I'm always having to tell people like, no, 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 no. Or just let them think what they want, you know? If it's a fine girl, I'll let her think what she wants. Yeah, exactly. So the the transition into into travel being the main focus, what was the first thing that got you thinking you could do that? And how I'm always curious to hear people's stories on how they're able to take that dream and then realize it and, and get paid and keep doing it for more than a couple of months. Right. So when I always used to travel, when I played basketball, my family would eat it up and love it. And they used to be like, you need to post this more. We love, we're traveling through you. I'm living vicariously through you. And I used to be like, oh, okay, that's cool. And so like, just the fact that I was just jumping in different cultures and showing my family, I was just, I was ready to educate everybody. Like, yeah, you know, I'm on this side driving. Or like, you know how people think when you're in Europe, you drive on the side, the English side. So I always mm-hmm. used to tell them like, they don't drive, everybody don't drive on this side. They drive on this side, you know, just showing them little things and, and letting them know that everybody speaks English or stuff like that, or the stuff that they eat, like, yo, Chinese people love chicken too. You know what I'm saying? Like just stuff like that. And uh, Just educating people got me like fired up, ready to show everybody about different worlds. And then people were like adding me on social media. Yo, follow this dude, follow this dude, follow this dude. In my Snapchat, I had like a couple thousands looking at my Snapchat 
I won like the um, I won like this thing with a with a plane company. It's out of Wild Air. You ever heard of Wild Air? Yeah, Iceland. Yeah, so I won. Um, I was like called a snap traveler. So they would fly me to their different uh, destinations, and I would just snap everything, and and they'll like put me up, and they'll let me do free stuff, and I was just exploring the city, and that shit just people start loving it and loving it and loving it, and then I just it just transferred over to social media, and I'm still doing it to this day. So, and then he did feel good travel with Matador, of course. Feel good travel. That shit was dope. Yeah. So so you're also involved with uh, the new Green Book, the guide for. Uh, african-american travelers what's going on with that they're just using me for my uh i'm, I'm bragging right now i mean they're using me for my sexy back <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm what they call um what do you say? you're a back influencer i'm a back influencer it's a dream job right there exactly not my, my homegirl marty they call her marty san diego she decided to do a new green book and she put so much work into it and I was there with her when she was grinding. For her birthday, I got her the green book. And she just put in hella work. And respectfully, she always be like, she respects what I'm doing. And she put me on the cover. And I'm forever grateful for that. Like, she threw me on the cover. The attention getter. So she she, she really appreciates what how I travel. And she's always had my back. So that that's all, all I'm doing is just I'm I'm not the face of the book, but I'm the back of the, the back book. of the book. Yeah, well, that, that's cool. Cause I mean, the original Green Book was like as a resource for black travelers to to stay safe while traveling in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And this sort of version is doing something a little different. It's it's encouraging black travelers to to what uh, to reconnect with with other African American travelers abroad. Uh highlighting sort of black owned businesses, restaurants, festivals, tours that are kind of overlooked by more traditional media. That's, that's what, that's the kind of the goal of the the new book, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, like you said, we're trying to support other black um, businesses and black people, because I think because of the past, when we see other black people there, we are, we're going, we're going. So we're just trying to show the places that accepts us. And uh, is this phrase that was that I always say? When we know, we go. So like these places in the book, we're putting them there. We want people to go visit. I think it's gonna motivate people to continue to do businesses, to continue to travel and reach out to her. And you know, it's gonna be edition one, two, three, four. I'm excited for. It. Yeah, that's great. Is there still, do you think, among Black travelers, a reluctance to travel to certain places that might be commonplace travel for uh, for others um, due to uh, to racial concerns hell yeah 100 percent. because people are yeah man and, and we like document it and tell we have our we have little groups of ourselves and we from amongst ourselves and we let each other know like yo these places racist or this country's hella racist don't visit or if you do visit be be aware so hell yeah that shit is it sucks but that's the reality that we live in so, well, uh, spill the beans. What countries are racist? Traveling is different. With, with so, like, someone will be like, uh, "Germany's super racist." I've never experienced Germany, but I I, I listen to what they say, um, and and I take it in consideration. So, it all depends. It depends on the situation. But I know one that always comes up is like Italy. Oh, really? Yeah, I, even I've experienced racism there. Um, China, I experienced racism there. And it all depends how you what you think is racist. Like sometimes people think, 
Well, sometimes people feel that they do make comments or, or the way they treat them is racist, which is understandable. So India is a big one as well, too. Like people are disrespectful when it comes to like touching their hair and, and saying slick stuff. But yeah, China, Italy, that I could think of. I know some people in Eastern European has gotten racist um, remarks. Um, I think I heard some places in the Middle East before. How about the other side of that? Who? What are some countries that you would say you you feel comfortable recommending somebody traveling abroad for the first time? Like all the West African countries, all the West and East African countries, and those are only because I've only been to East Africa. I haven't been to West, but I've heard great things about West Africa. Um, and put, you know, what I'm saying like people, if you look like a tourist, more than likely they're not going to be racist because you got that moolah, baby. So. That's funny. You almost get you get more respect for being an outsider as a tourist than you would if you're someone who they think actually lives there, which is kind of interesting. That's because money talks, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does solo travel play into that? Is that do you think people are more likely to be accepting uh, if you're by yourself or traveling with others with a family? I, I don't. Uh, I'm always curious to hear what people think about that. Yeah. So my experience, like my travel experience, is not like anybody's. Because I hate to say it, I'm a big black dude, right? My energy is there. You feel my energy. My shit is different, yo. So when I'm solo traveling, ain't nobody really messing with me like that. You know what I'm saying? So besides like not letting us in the club is the only time I've, I've been an issue with me. And then they're playing hip hop music, but they won't let us in the club because we're wearing hip hop clothes. So that's been my issue. And you know, it's crazy. That is an issue. But it's happened to me so much in so many different places that I'm trying to dumb it down right now. See, that's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. And I mean, as a white traveler, you don't think of these places, like especially Italy and Germany, as being you know inherently racist. It's just not a thing that I have to think about before I travel somewhere or that I have to discuss with someone who's been there. And I mean, it's it sucks right. because you know that just that knowledge of those incidents can be enough to discourage you know, a black traveler who wants to go and go to Europe for the first time, it can discourage them from doing so. Yeah. And we all stick together. So like in these groups of travel pages that we have, or these forms that we have, when we talk about travel, there's people from the U S there's people from Britain, there's people from Africa, you know what I'm saying? There's people from Europe. We all get together and we share our experience. And then like, we figure out what it is. Like they, they're super racist in China and Indian against African people. And those African people are in the forums too, and they share it. You know what I'm saying? So we're just like, man, it's everywhere, unfortunately. But we learn to deal with it all the time. So it does sound like there is a need for kind of a new green book when it comes to international travel anyway, you know? Exactly, exactly. And, that, and that's why Marty did it, yo. And I think part of the hope would be, too, that people in those countries would get a hold of this, uh, not, not, you know, through travel and, and through seeing it and being aware of its existence and it will spark conversations. And hopefully it does. And, it, and I'm, I, I mean, obviously what will happen this summer, it has, you know what I'm saying? People are looking, looking more, talking about it, acknowledging it. Yeah. How do you think what's happened this summer with the Black Lives Matter movement will change travel or if it will change travel at all? I mean, I think it will. I think people will take in consideration, especially uh, they should, especially like, the support that was seen throughout the travel industry and what was going on. Like people were talking about racism in travel and people had no idea. So I think it's changing. It's changing. And our voice was heard. So we were just speaking out 
speaking out, speaking out, speaking out. And we know eventually it's going to die down like everything else, but it's our job to let people know we're still here. We're still in the room. Oh, African-Americans spent $63 billion on travel in 2018. Yeah, I feel like now more than ever, the travel industry is sort of waking up, you know, they, they almost have no choice and in franchising black travelers. I mean, it, it's unfortunate that it took this Floyd incident for it to happen. But I mean, wh- why, why do you think that is? I mean, this obviously isn't the first incident of its kind. But why this? Why now? Why 2020 is travel media and everyone suddenly waking up to these issues? Oh, yeah. I mean, the world was all, we was all on pause. We were all watching. The whole world was on quarantine. It wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? Everybody yeah. was on quarantine. They was watching that shit. We were restless. It was a captive audience. Yeah, captive audience. Exactly. And then people saw the unfairness. They weren't distracted by everyday lives. They'd be like, oh, that sucks. Hey, uh, let's go to blah, blah, blah. They were like, oh, that sucks. Look at this. This sucks. They suck. They saw it. They saw it. Yeah. I mean, on the other side of the uh, COVID coin, if you will, is COVID itself. I mean, the biggest single event to probably ever happen to the travel industry. I mean, me and you are living very different realities right now. I mean, I'm here in the U.S., you're in Copenhagen, and you're probably looking over at us across the ocean being like, you guys are fucking screwed. Being in Europe, and I was in Europe, and then Danish people followed directions. So, and a lot of European countries followed the directions. And they What is that like, living in a country where people follow directions? Uh, you know, they have a lot of trust in their government, right? And so when the government says, hey, listen, put the mask on, socially distance, and get your ass in the house. People listened, right? They, 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 I mean, yeah, they did. And so they saw what happened. And then this summer, everybody was able to travel. You know what I'm saying? And that was a, that was dope. Like I was on social media. I went to Paris. People were like, where your mask at? Where your, or, or I was walking around Denmark. Where your mask at? And that's not my reality right now. I see it on TV all the time, but that is not my reality. And I'm like, yo, we don't have to wear masks. Not until not until last week we had to start wearing masks on public transportations and in restaurants. Not until last week. And that prevention is better than the cure. And what's happening now is that they know the second wave is coming. So they're fucking tightening up their shit so it won't be as bad as the United States. So what's the what are the perceptions of people watching the US right now? Well, so my friends say they're stupid. They say, Are you kidding me about some of the stuff like how Donald Trump is um, not listening to science or whatever, or he doesn't wear a mask. They just don't get it. They're like, I don't want to go to America anymore. And they'd be like, you're lucky that you're here. And I'm like, I know I'm so lucky. Hey, let's go to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't rub it in. I know. I won't. Yeah. It's, it's so funny because there has historically been this mindset among like Europeans that they everyone wants to go to america america is this like this highly desirable travel destination that everyone kind of aspires to visit and now it's just so opposite and you know we deserve it so yeah we do we do we do deserve before you came to copenhagen where were you coming from i was in india i was you were in india okay living in mumbai and did you leave india because of covid and wanted to get to denmark or just you were going to leave anyway Nah, it was 100 percent covid so what happened, I had like two months left on my contract. What happened was the NBA, I was working for the NBA. The NBA shut down on like the 8th or something like that. On the 9th, they brought us in and was like, hey, listen, the NBA just called from New York. We all got to go home. If you're not, we're not from here, we have to go home. And then it was like a Thursday and they were like, 
Tomorrow we all go to the bank, do our bank stuff. Monday we're trying to have everybody out. And so they like put in panic because they was like, if India shuts down, we have no idea when we're going to be out. And they were like, this shit is like a clusterfuck. Well, we we all said amongst ourselves, like, this shit is crazy. Just imagine what's going on because we were on top of each other and everything. Like, live. Yeah. The NBA bubble, India version. The NBA bubble. In this in this shortened bizarre season, is is the NBA champion like? Is there an asterisk there? I mean, it's you can't take away from an accomplishment like that, but it's tough. It's tough to like win in a season like this because you want to you want to act as though it's a it's a legit like regular championship, but it's just it's not. It's so different. Yeah, I mean, it is different, but I, I feel like it can't for them. For them, for them, it's harder. You know, they've been such. They've been uh, they've been um, used to a certain lifestyle and how they do everything. They you throw you in a bubble, a little adversity, and yeah, you have millions and billions of dollars. Like you see, LeBron James texting the family like, "I miss you guys." You know what I'm saying? His and then the whole thing going on social justice, like where where these guys like people don't understand these basketball players are like legit. What is that called? Foundations in their neighborhoods they grew up with, grew up in. Like that, when somebody gets killed in their neighborhoods or these social justice things happening, they feel it. They might be rich and away from it, but they're there. They have boots on the ground. You know what I'm saying? So that so that's not fake when they be thinking about like when they're doing the interviews and they're like justice for Breonna Taylor. You know what I'm saying? I probably have a little guilt, you know what I'm saying? Because they're rich and they're outside the hood or whatever. But they are really boots on the ground. They feel it. They're dealing with that. They're dealing with missing their families. This is adversity. And if you can do that, how can you discredit this championship? So how are you how are you finding that balance when you're gone and and with feeling like you're doing your part with your family and your friends and being engaged in this this you know time that people are going to be talking about for the rest of our lives? I try to use my social media to 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 show people what's going on. Some of my stuff would be like elementary stuff like yeah, Martin Luther King fought for our rights. And then, and then people are like, no, duh. And I'm like, yeah, this is not for you. This is for the 18,000 people who live in this country or something like that. So I, I do my part by like, you know, reposting. And I know it's it's not it's not it's only a repost or whatever the case may be. But there's I there's people I'm bringing awareness, right? I'm bringing awareness. I'm donating money. Um, here I'm also doing. Um, there's been there's been Black Lives Matters here. I've been to all the protests here. I was going to ask, how, how is the Black Lives Matter issue uh, reverberating in Europe? All the big cities are like protesting. And then they're using it as a platform to say that their European lives matter. Their European Black Lives Matter. Yeah, that's pretty incredible for uh, you know one incident in the U.S. to have sparked something that's a just global overseas movement. Man, listen, first March, they did, a, they did one march, right, where this guy put it together or whatever. It was, it was like 500 people there. It was like 20 minutes or something. It was COVID. They did it. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that's cute. This is cute. Oh, thank you. You know. Then they had one march where it was like 15,000 people. And I'm just like, we're standing in front of the U.S. Embassy and I'm looking. And I'm like, bro, this is all for something that could have happened for me. You know what I'm saying? Like me. Like George Floyd in the Midwest. That shit could happen to me. Like, And look how everybody's coming out. And I was just overwhelmed. You know what I'm saying? Like. I had to find like an American dude. It was like, yo, this, they doing this for us, yo. Yeah, it's this it's this uniting event almost um, globally. And that's that's awesome. I wonder how that hits in countries that 
black travelers considered to be racist? You know, you were talking about, exactly. you know, India, China, uh, Italy. Like, I'm curious, I guess, about what's... So I, have ties in India. I have ties in India. And I was like, yo, why aren't y'all talking about Black Lives Matter to my homeboys? And they were like, Phil, Black Lives Matter. We love the NBA, but we can't focus on your issues when we have the same issues here and we're not talking about it here. So I'm with it. I'll like your pictures, but I wouldn't dare post about that right now when we're dealing with the same stuff here. Like r- racism in, in India? In Mumbai? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We went down the whole line. Like, we dealing with this, this, this. And I was like, hey, I understand. And then in China, um, you know, people were talking about it, but it wasn't as big. My my cousin is in Thailand. People were kind of scared to talk about it, but they were doing it. Um, South Korea, they put up the Black Lives Matter thing on their, um, on the U.S. Embassy. And then, uh, I don't know, I think it was maybe Bill Barr. I don't know who it was. He came there and was like, yo, take that down. They took it down, but they, they're there. There's a lot of expats in a lot of different countries that are trying to spark this movement. Where do you think that comes from, by the way, the uh, racist sentiments in India? Well, you know the caste system, right? I used to go down like uh, the southern India is all like darker people, right? Hmm. Like the majority of the people are dark. And I used to always go down there and I used to be like, and I can, you can totally tell like they were like embarrassed and like shy when they, when, when like the darker they were or whatever. And I used to always try to establish them confidence every single time because I've been that person, the darkest person in the room. So I've been in, so I will always like try to single them out. But, but like, it's me making that guy look super cool and he has confidence for the rest of the day. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And they're, they're also dealing with the, uh, issues up North in, in, uh, the disputed territory right now in India where they're, you know, stripping the citizenships from the Muslims and stuff. So there, India has its whole diaspora of, of issues. That's everywhere in India, right? Yeah. Crazy, crazy shit. And then we can't, I can't, you know, you really can't really speak on it too much because their government is not like our government. Yeah. I was talking about Muslims. I was talking, I was in China. I was living in China, 2019. And I was talking about the Muslims in China and my, my WeChat got shut down. Like government monitored, right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. I'm talking about the Muslims getting articles on my phone about it. And all of a sudden my WeChat don't work. I'm like, what is going on? That's wild. Yeah. Well, uh, on, on a, Lighter topic, I'd love to talk about how you keep a routine on the road, work out, you know, what 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 are you, what are your tips on on fitness and diet when you're constantly moving around? So, it can go both ways. You can go on a long journey and get super fat, or you can go on a long journey and get super skinny. It all depends how you you have to pay attention, right? So, um, when I was doing feel good travel, we walked a lot of places, right? And I made sure I used to get my 10,000 steps in and I will only eat one bad meal and the rest I'll just snack on different things. So it's, so my point is, it's all about what you eat, you put in your body, bro. If you go to Mexico and yeah. you had a buffet, you have buffet every single day, you're going to have a little pud when you get back. So when I, whenever I go someplace, I will be like, all right, um, 25 push-ups. I'm about to do 25 push-ups next to the Taj Mahal. Right. Weaving it into the the travel angle. <laughs> Could you get your producer and our boy, Rob Chersonoff, to work out with you while filming uh, Feel Good Travel? No, Rob is. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he told me he was an avid hiker. Yeah. I love hiking. Back in Vancouver, 
Like, yeah, I agree. And he used to try to like eat like super healthy. Like, I- I'll pass on that. I'm gonna have my uh, salad. I think it stuck with him though, because now he's always hiking all the time. He gives girls the uh, Russian stare and gets them every time. Never misses. It's so funny. We were like, "Hey, yo, Rob, we hit the table, but that Russian stare is kind of creepy, bro." Speaking of drunk, though, we had a great time in Austria when we met up with his uh, homies there. We like jammed out. He was on the drums to see him really. I didn't really know he was a real drummer. Like I just was like, oh, but he was really dope with it. Like do do do. He knew all the tricks. He has he has rhythm. I'm like, what the fuck? They'll do a secret a, a sequel called Rob Good Travel, and it'll just be him playing drums in every city in Europe and like staring down hot European girls. <laughs> I think Rob was a dope. I used to always say, Rob, you better do your job, bro. I was like, Rob, you better do your job. All right, well, let's let Rob off the hook and get to our next segment, which is listener stories. We put out a call every week for listener stories. People submit their craziest, funniest travel stories, and then we have the guest read it on air. And this week, that means you, Phil. Oh, this is going to be a good one. I can already tell. So I'm reading this, right? Yeah, fire away. Okay, so last year I was on a European road trip with a friend that ended in Prague. We arrived on a Thursday night and I wanted to go out, but my friends were sick and wanted to stay in, refusing to miss out on our last night in Europe. I went out by myself and ended up sitting at an outdoor bar in one of the main city squares. Being all alone was a bit awkward. I couldn't exactly motivate myself to rage at a nightclub, but I really didn't want to go to bed either. After half an hour or so, a film crew showed up with actors in crazy costumes and start filming a movie scene. It looked like a Halloween movie because everyone had fake blood all over them and they were with and there were guys with huge monster heads. I watched them film for like two hours. Now at least four drinks deep after a while, one of the film guys, I guess the producer, came up and said something in, in Czech. I didn't think he was talking to me, so I kind of ignored him. But then he said in English, what are you doing right now? Nothing, I said. Would you like to play a small part in our film? No words. You just have to die. Sure. Why not? I was drunker than I realized when I stood up, but then, but I think it helped calm my nerves. He walked me over to the costume lady who gave me an outfit and pointed me into the changing stall. I looked like an 18th century farmer. That's hilarious. Stay, stand, stand there," said the producer. Alexander was the was the was the monster. He was dressed in a tuxedo and had a hairy mutant head with blood stains everywhere. He strolled casually down the street, killing other extras like me. He clubbed me over the head gently, and I collapsed to the ground, half acting, half drunkenly, losing my balance. I must have been a natural because we only did one take. I was kindly thanked for my help, and I was sent on my way. For the past year, I've been trying to find a movie online, but no luck. Maybe it never came out. Maybe I'm a Czech movie star. Anyways, that's how I went from drinking alone on a Thursday night to becoming Murder Victim 3 in a really bad Czech movie. That's awesome. I wonder why they picked this was a this was a girl. It was a girl. 26-year-old girl in Mesa, Arizona. I wonder if the movie ever came out. I mean, that's pretty cool. You're never going to forget that one that one night. At, well, meanwhile, your partner is asleep in the hotel room. She was out for hella long. 
like three hours, she said. Was it three? I know, yeah. Well, thanks for reading the story, Phil. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for putting me on the spot. And yeah, thanks for stopping by. It's been great talking. Yo, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Where can people find you, Phil, if they want to uh they want to check you out online? They can they can type in Phil the Culture and you'll find me anywhere. But my my name is Phil Walkie. You can type that in too, you'll find me anywhere. And if you want to check out my show, Feel Good Travel, type that in. You can find that anywhere. Anywhere. Foursquare, Pinterest, Craigslist. He's on Craigslist. Check the personals. Nah, except for on Pinterest and Foursquare. He's on the Misconnections, Den, uh, the Denmark Misconnections Craigslist all the time. Christian Mingle, he's on that too. Black people meet. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Take it easy, bud. PGA. Right on. Thanks, Phil. Alrighty, well, it is time for the lightning rounds. Tim, you ready? I'm ready. Let's rapid fire it up. The election is coming up, Tim. It is. If you could vote for one non-politician to be president of the United States, who would it be? Well, we already have one. Um, <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I think I would vote for... It would be a musician of of some kind. I th- I think I would vote for a punk rock musician. You think it would make a good president? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like you want to be more specific? We know who you're thinking of, so I mean, you might as well just come out with it. Well, I mean, yeah, it could be Tom. I maybe Fat Mike of no effects. I think he'd be a good a good one. I feel like Tom DeLonge is too much of a conspiracy theorist though, right? Yeah, he is. And it's funny though too because if you watch some of their old videos some of the old interviews with him from the 90s he talks about becoming president in a in a humorous manner yeah i think he'd mean well but like i don't know i think his i think you might have to set your personal feelings aside on this one yeah i bet travis barker would be a good president he seems very modest and just kind of like cerebral you know cerebral is a good term for him i think yeah have you ever watched him on the joe rogan podcast i don't watch our competitors tim yeah okay Fair enough. <laughs> if Joe, Ro- if we ever get to the league where Joe Rogan is our competitor, then we're doing pretty well. If you had a plaque dedicated to you at a bar, so you know how people like long time, uh, like townies, and they pass away and they get like a plaque dedicated to them at a bar stool, like their favorite bar stool, they get like a little engraving. What would yours say? So Tim Winger is a regular at this local dive bar for decades. And then you got to choose, it's like a headstone, but for your favorite bar. And then everyone who sits at that bar stool, they look down, they see the Tim Winger plaque. What does it say? What's the quote? So the bar would be the Candlelight Tavern in Denver. Okay. The quote would be, the guy that sat in this stool was a master of working while drinking. Okay. I used to do a lot of interviews in that bar. So the I got to I knew every bartender very well. Actually, I took my wife there on our first date. A master of working while drinking. I think mine would be you going to finish that about food. Are you the guy that's always taking like the last few bites of somebody's food that you don't know very well? I just hate to see waste, you know. How's that going to fly in the post-COVID world? Uh, whatever. If I'm going to go out, that's how I want to go out, doing what I love. Okay, fair enough. And the last question, would you rather be the first one on the plane or the last one on the plane? I would rather be the first one on the plane because I get anxiety about overhead bin space. So you'd, okay, so this is a a thing I always wonder about when I'm like getting in line to board and everyone is crowding around the gate and they just like have to be like the first one. It's like, okay, you're going to sit on this plane for like 
four or five hours, right? Like that's the length of the flight. Are you really in that much of a hurry to get on the plane first and add another like 45 minutes to an hour? If you're the first one on the plane, you're waiting at least an hour until the plane is ready to, to take off. Like for me, I want to be the very last person on the plane. Like I travel pretty light. I only have a backpack. So I'm like 99% of the time there's room for my luggage, but getting on there first, it's like they treat the airlines treat it like it's this big privilege. Like, okay, like our mileage plus members can board first. Why would I ever want to board first? Unless I have like a sketchily large bag that I'm trying to sneak in that I should have checked, you know? So I am not one of the people that crowds around the gate. Actually, I, I hate that. And I think it's a sign of inexperience in travel. I, I've always related it to gapers on a ski hill. The people that flock around the gate before boarding are the gapers of flying. Well, I think it's 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 this very like results oriented experience. Like for people, it's like they get to the airport, they have to get through security. That's like the check the first checkpoint, and then they have to find their gate. That's the second checkpoint, mm-hmm. and then when the person says, "Okay, now we're we're going to start to board," that's like, "Okay, the next step is I have to get to the plane." And that's it's this results oriented. I have to get to this finish line that is the plane. You're getting on the plane first. Cool. You're going to sit there for an extra. You're adding an hour to your in your your plane sitting experience, basically, which I don't think people think about. No, they don't. And every one of those steps to go into security, the checking your bag, the getting on the train to go to the terminal and then walking to the gate, each one of these steps along the process adds an extra tick of anxiety. And so by the time you're actually ready to board the plane, you're like full on rush, like, let me just get on there and go. And really, you just want to make it slow. But nothing is as annoying to me is when the plane first pulls up to the gate, the ding happens and two thirds of the people stand up, even though it's going to be another 20 minutes before you get off the plane. And then they're just standing there looking around and feeling, you know, you can tell they're starting to get self-conscious because they've been standing up for 15 minutes. Yeah. I I think it's almost like a dopamine rush though. Every time you clear one of those little hurdles, you know, it's like, okay, I checked in. All right, good. That's over with. All right. I got through security. Okay. Now I can just focus on finding my gate. All right. Here's the gate. Mm -hmm. And then when the plane is there, it's like, that's the ultimate one. It's like, all right, I'm on the plane. You're like jonesing for this dopamine hit of, all right, I'm on my plow on the plane. Now all I have to do is sit and wait. And there's almost like a certain part of your brain that craves that, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's like a constant, you're getting a little bit better. You're feeling a little bit better about yourself. It's just like checking social media and seeing how many likes are on your post. Exactly. Well, that's it for me. All right. Other side, Evan, meeting someone on an airplane. Is it bullshit? Okay. So, I mean, I would love for my life to operate like a romantic comedy. Like I would, you know, sit on a plane, this beautiful girl happens to sit next to me. We immediately strike up a conversation, have this like soulmate like connection, but we forget to get each other's contact information. So then, you know, we land, we part ways I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to see each other again. But then we run into each other at a bookstore six months later and we grab for the same book and it suddenly starts snowing right at midnight. I don't know why I'm at a bookstore at midnight or why the bookstore is open at midnight. But anyway, I'm like, oh, aren't you that girl from the plane? Yeah, that doesn't happen. That's never happened ever. Not even the step one of that process. I've never once sat next to anybody interesting on a plane. So yes, Tim, to answer your question, it is bullshit. So when I was in college, like early college, probably like I was probably 19, 
I went to Michigan for the holidays and I was flying, I believe, from Denver to Detroit. And I was sitting next to this girl who was on the same flight, obviously, but she was she went to school in Wyoming and was flying home. And I was going to see my mom's side of the family who lives there. And we talked the whole time. And at the end of the flight, I got her email address from her. This was before social media. So if I would have had that, that would have probably helped us stay in touch. But I got her email address and I really wanted to like do the awkward thing where you try to kiss somebody on a plane. But my mom was sitting next to me on the other side. So I did nothing except ask her for her email address. And I don't think I ever even actually emailed her. (laughs) Email address. Wow. Tim Fox. Yeah. So my friend, he claims, and I have no reason to doubt him, but he claims he was on a flight. I believe it was Thailand and, you know, long flight. And he claims he got a hand job from the girl sitting next to him that they talked for like hours and then she eventually ended up just jerking him off. I don't, and he, he's explained this to me a few times and I still can't wrap my head around it. Just logistically. I mean, hey, this is the stuff romantic comedies are made of, you know, good old fashioned, heartwarming, feel good, family friendly stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's everybody's dream to to fool around on a plane. So it just sucks for her that she didn't get any of the benefit out of that. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. If you're at the airport, it's a full flight. And they call out for some people to gate check their bags. Do you do it or do you not do it? I need you to explain to me why anyone does this. Because I do. I usually. So I'll explain when I'll, I'll explain when I do. I will do it if I am not having a layover. Uh, generally, if I am, if I, it's my last flight of the day, or if I know I'm not going to need anything out of my bag, if I also have my backpack with my laptop and my book in it. I will do it. If I know I'm going to be in a hurry getting to getting out of the airport when I arrive, I won't do it, obviously. But if it's not impacting my day at all, other than adding five minutes waiting for my bag to come out, I'll do it. It is more than five minutes, though. I mean, you got to get down there. It's never it's it's at least like 15 minutes It's because your bag is never one of the first like five to ten that comes out. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I just I don't is it really worth sparing you the inconvenience of having to carry around one bigger bag like it's a rollaway right i'm guessing you travel with a rollaway not just a backpack no i definitely do not travel with a rollaway it's only a backpack so you are swapping out traveling with a backpack for a slightly smaller backpack yes and do that you are adding the hassle of having to stand and wait for your luggage to come out which could take up to 20 minutes that's all worth it to you like that's i think you know what i think i think people that do this do it because they want to be the hero. Yeah, it's good travel karma. And it also relieves my anxiety of overhead bin space. I no longer have to even think about the overhead bin. Do you wake up with like cold sweats about overhead bin space? No, but I think about it once I get to the gate. If you, I, I'm picturing Tim strolling up to the, the checking counter with this wide, smug grin on his face, just, just announcing, I'll do it. I will do it. Here's my bag check it let's do it let's get let's, let's get on the road everyone and then starting a slow clap for himself that's exactly right because you know who's gonna get the free drink coupon me has that happened yeah they give you free drink coupon if you do that not in the moment it has not happened but it has happened while on the plane or after getting off the plane from the flight attendant who thought I was oh, okay cool. okay to answer your question i have never done it and probably will never do it 
But listeners, tell us what you think. Are you like Tim? Do you gate check your bag like a tryhard or are you a normal person and just wait for other people to do it? Oh, and while you're at it, let us know if you've ever met anyone cool on a plane because I am genuinely curious if this actually happens to real people. Let us know. Leave, uh, leave the answer in a review, um, preferably behind a five-star rating. Thanks for listening to another episode of No Blackout Dates. To submit a crazy story to us of your travel adventures, just email noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com or you can DM me at ebbinflow underscore or Tim at timwinger1 on Instagram. And oh, and don't forget to subscribe because if you don't, I mean, let's face it, you're just going to miss out and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. That's it for us. We'll catch you guys next time. All right. We'll see you guys next time.